Today on Rambling Ambos, we welcome our first guest presenter to the show. Special Operations Paramedic Lee provides an insight into exactly what his role entails. Plus, those times you've gone above and beyond. We each share a story that might leave you feeling a bit warm and fuzzy. In the debrief, it's all about whether paramedics should be armed for self-defence and would this be your chosen career path if you lived in a high-risk country? The Rambling Ambos quiz makes its debut before we jump into the clinical corner. Our guest Lee presents a case conundrum today with a special operations twist. Get involved by sending us a message on Facebook or Instagram at Rambling Ambos, but stand by, it's time for the debrief. Welcome to Rambling Ambos. This is episode four and joining me as always right across from me is Genevieve. How are you? I'm wonderful, Carl. How are you? Good. Not too bad. Nice to see you. And to my right, the ever clever Evan. Hey, mate. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Fantastic. Ready That's, to get back into it. Oh, absolutely. And guys, I am excited today. Uh, we have our first ever special guest coming on the show a little Yay. bit later. Um, who I can't wait to quiz mm. and uh, get to know. But um, before we get to that, I just thought we'd recap quickly our previous episode. Mm. Um, we received a bit of feedback and uh, thanks so much for sending in, our, in, in your messages um, and your thoughts, guys. Uh, you can find us on uh, Facebook at Rambling Ambos or on Instagram. Um, but Mike sent in a, an article about uh, improving verbal communication in critical care medicine and it's all about the gradient. So if you're working with someone who's, you know, a massive... Grouch, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, or and, and you're just finding it so difficult to get your your messages across or your thoughts across. Um, we'll pop this article up on our uh, Facebook page in the episode three comments section. So have a read of that if you're finding it pretty tough with a partner. But um, yeah, we've also received more feedback, Jen. Yeah, yeah. Actually, on that note, I did think about the word was a asserted no. Graded assertiveness. I can't even say it. Graded <laughs> assertiveness. Um, but no, we did get some more feedback. So someone sent in, Adam has sent in that uh, he thought competency and capacity is assumed in an adult and it's up to us to prove that they don't meet competency and capacity, mm. which I thought was an interesting point. I don't. I didn't know that. Yeah, mm. That's an interesting concept. I think I tend to, when I have someone that I need to prove competency and capacity for, I'm kind of like you prove me wrong that yeah. you have the capacity to make that decision in the first place. That's the way I tend to look at it. Mm. Mm. But anyway, look, great for the feedback, guys. Mm. Thanks. Keep yeah, it keep it, it coming. Um, and guys, just quickly, I know I mentioned last week that we went even more global. Well, this week... How more we global, guys, Carl? Here we go. Yeah, you, I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to step this up. But I was having a look at the, at the um, data on the website and, um, you know, we've got a half a dozen listeners in the UK and the US now, mm-hmm. which is yeah, amazing. Nice. Welcome, guys. Um, but we also have one that's unknown. So I'm thinking, how could this be? Where is this person? Space station. Exactly. Space no, wait, just went up that? there. Yes, that's <laughs> what I was thinking. We've gone galactic. I mean, that's that's a bit, of, a bit out there. We'll, but imagine if they're just tuning in. That'd be pretty awesome. That would be amazing. Well, yeah. isn't it the whole the SpaceX has gone up or something? I haven't been keeping up with the news. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But imagine if they got chest pain up there. What would you do? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sure. Panic. <laughs> yeah, stay calm. Sorry if they got a defib up there. Yeah, anyway. We'll have to um, <laughs> That's write actually a really question. interesting point. Now I'm really curious. <laughs> um, well, look, guys. Today on the show, we do have a very special guest. And... Um, He has been a paramedic for 11 years, an intensive care paramedic for three years. But more importantly, he's a special operations paramedic. And that's why we've got him on the show today. Um, He has a very particular set of skills that he's acquired over a very long period of time. And it makes people... um, 
Well, actually, hang on a second. Is that a line out of a movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. taken. I was just reading the quote. It's and, Liam um, yeah, it's Liam Neeson. <laughs> oh, it's Liam Neeson. Well, Lee, welcome to the show, mate. <laughs> I know, I was looking at this, uh, this quote and I was thinking, where do I start, where do I stop? But um, look, I think I got the main point out there about your particular set of skills. Is that right? Uh, sure, let's go with that. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me. It's, I'm very excited to be here, an avid listener um, and, and very excited to be able to share this, this table with you. Yeah, awesome, mate. Well, we're so in, happy to, to have you here. Um, and we've got a few questions because um, we really want to understand um, you know, what special operations is, what your role is. And, um, and, and how you operate, your scope of practice. Absolutely. Um, so don't mind us as we uh, just interrogate you slightly. Yeah, so Get Lee, in. talk to me. What type of jobs require a special operations paramedic? Listen, it's the easy way to answer that, I think, is any job that requires an access, um, that, that has difficult access. So if you, as a, as a general ambulance um, team, can't mm. access that patient with, you know, by, by walking in or pushing your stretcher or your carry chair, then we sort of start, they, people, uh, I guess, refer to us, um, that, that job. So so you're saying that if you go to a hoarder's house and they have yeah. too many bags behind the door, <laughs> exactly. give you guys a call. We have special equipment to hold back all the newspapers. <laughs> and, no. and, and special masks for the smells. I oh. know, but interestingly, you know, there is there are plenty of jobs in the normal day-to-day ambulance life that, potentially would require extrication equipment to get out of an environment like that. If you've got a very small, tight space, Mm. you can't get your stretcher in and a carry sheet's just not cutting it. We have articulating stretches. We have... Is it bad that my first thought was like they talk, like articulate the game? Like they say, excuse we can, me. We can sort of strap someone into something that looks like a nudge and it bends at the hips, you know. Wow. We often, well, oftentimes they're used in, in a naval capacity to get people out of the belly of ships. Yeah, right. But sure, call us for your hoarders. We'll yeah. be there. You know? well, what's we'll be your there. expertise though? I mean, surely you don't want us to be calling you for every hoarder. What are the more, <laughs> what are the more exciting jobs that you do? Uh, listen, our skill set is wide and varied. Um, we we are able to um, come and give you a, a hand on, on lots of different jobs, but particularly, I mean, most people would know that we have a vertical capacity. Mm. So we, we have ropes and harnesses and, and stuff to build anchors so that we can go and access those patients in the precarious positions on, on clifftops, mountaintops. Yeah. Um, we... We spend a lot of time in the bush, whether or not that's you know somewhere local um, and and benign, or very very deep in the the Blue Mountains um, or, or other national parks. Mm. Um, we we spend lots of time finding those patients. So we've got a navigational um, cap- capability as well. Uh, they might give us a lap and long, and and we go and find them. Mm. Um, yeah, right. Full drive access, so search and rescue, search and rescue yeah. stuff. Um, CBRN, so chemical, biological, radiological, and nuclear hazmat. You practice that line. That just rolled yeah. out. Something there. we speak about a lot. There's a <laughs> lot of elements to being a special operations paramedic. So swift water technicians, swift water awareness. Yeah, um, right. Confined space. Confined space yeah. and breathing apparatus. We support the fireys on remote area fire team um, deployments and, and we yeah. support the police um, extensively as well, police rescue, our, our special operations groups within the police. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, we wear a lot of feathers in our cap. Well, one thing I realised is that you're able to don your breathing apparatus and go in with 
fire is. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Like a so house fire we, or we, a... we can, and and you know the circumstances have to be right. We're yeah. certainly not going to go in there and put the fire out. But if oh. we, we if we're going to if we if we commit <laughs> Why to not? that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we're going to commit to that that structure um, because there's someone in there that can't be brought to us essentially. Mm. But yeah, we can go in and we can provide um, first aid, render aid to someone who can't be brought out. And it doesn't have to be just fire. It could be any toxic environment, uh, mm. oxygen rich or oxygen deficient environment. And, and we would be taking gas detectors in with us to make sure that w- you know, we can monitor those levels. Right. Certainly. So Lee, it sounds like there's a lot of high risk jobs that you would actually attend in special operations. Are there some jobs that are considered the highest risk for you or? I think, yeah, the, there's, there's two sort of areas within special operations that require the most concentration and that would be our vertical stuff. So anytime you're, you're working on a, on a, a, at height, mm. um, whether it's an industrial setting or a natural setting, um, putting a harness on, building an anchor and accessing a patient on rope is inherently dangerous. And yeah, we have, sure. we have. I mean, if you look, there's been lots of jobs recently um, in the media. They're very high, high profile jobs. And if you're going to put yourself in that position, you have to have the checks and balances in order to, to do so. The other, the other one is our breathing apparatus stuff. Yeah, like right. I said, if you're going to commit to a structure or an environment that has potentially life-threateningly toxic gases or, or oxygen-rich defi- or deficient environments, hoarders houses, you take your breathing apparatus off or you're not using it appropriately and you take one deep breath of something that's going to kill yeah. you, it's going to kill you. So yeah, we spend right. most of our time in training uh, focusing on those two things and then everything else comes after that probably. So they would be our high-risk jobs. Sure. Yeah, amazing. And um, your car, what do you stock in your vehicle? I mean, you, you go to so many different things by the sound of it. What's your... What's your go-to equipment? Yeah, so we drive a um, we drive a small, uh, a medium-sized four-wheel drive vehicle mm-hmm. with a with a big cab on the back. Um, in it has all our medical equipment on one side. So we, at first and foremost, what special operations is is a medical cap- capability. Yeah, um, we're a f- single rapid response unit, um, and so we have all our day-to-day ambulance stuff. Yeah. In the back, we have our breathing apparatus, our extrication equipment, our gas detectors. Um, and then on the right-hand side, we have all our extrication and access equipment as well. So that's ropes, harnesses, our mm. navigation equipment, our swift water equipment, um, anything, a chainsaw, you know, anything that's going to help right. us get... A chainsaw? A chainsaw, yeah, we, we have that. a chainsaw, yeah. So the chainsaw Did you do is on-scene amputations? Or <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, we usually Hardcore. generally use my, my, my Leatherman Raptor yeah. for that. But um, <laughs> no, the chainsaw is essentially when we go you know, sit down a fire trail to get that person who's come off their mountain bike or something or it's, you know, and there's a, there's a tree across the track, we can, we can access that patient by moving that tree, I guess. That's a yeah. good example of why we might use, certainly not cutting through your front door to get into the, the <laughs> horse house <laughs> and leave that to the police. But um, yeah. Interesting. All right. So well, lots of stuff in there. Yeah. 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 And look, uh, you're going to be running through the, the um, case conundrum today in the clinical corner. So yes. we're looking forward to that. Um, mm. But we'll move things along. Um, we usually start off the show with something a little bit lighthearted. We've done the top five caller statements and um, some handover howlers today. Uh, we're going above and beyond. So those times where you've really uh, helped out, uh, gone above and beyond what was actually required and sometimes what was even necessary. Um, and we're going to share those experience. So Lee, start us off, mate. That's a really good question. So I guess one ex- one example of going above and beyond responded out a long, long way 
um, about 1,200 kilometres away from our metropolitan area. Mm. And we went we went out there. It took us hours and hours and hours to get there, obviously. A fixed-wing aircraft, four-wheel drive, and we walked a long way. Um, the patient wasn't overly unwell but couldn't get herself out of where she was. And it ended up being a, a prolonged period of 24, 36 hours in the bush with her. And we wow. ended up having to just piggyback her to the to the winter zone so it was wow. it was wow. it ended up being you know this enormous job with what sort of forest of, were you in a forest or we're in a, a sort of set of set of, set of canyons oh, and wow. um we had to get it to a particular point and there were so many moving parts and so many um balls in the air but at the end of the day what she needed was a piggyback uh, and um you so, offered that back and we uh, we offered that back and we piggybacked this woman for a long way and wow. um and it wasn't the sleep oh, deprivation it wasn't the lack of food or it was the uh, the ache in my in my legs after piggybacking this, <laughs> and lower back. So this woman yeah amazing um I think the moment that I did a little bit of above and beyond was a patient, and I feel like people sort of hear these jobs reasonably frequently, mm. but we attended a patient who'd fallen out of bed and he was a palliative patient. Right. And his carers were his wife and his sister who lived with him. So this was an older gentleman. Mm. And um, they just weren't coping. They, they couldn't look after him anymore. They couldn't lift him back to bed. They were just not coping. So the decision was made in consultation with the palliative team and everyone to take him to hospital for what would maybe be the last time. Um, and so what I actually ended up doing was I was having a chat to the, the wife and the patient um, and I asked him, stupidly, I asked him if he had any books he liked to read and he said, no, I can't see anymore. My vision's really bad. And so I asked him about you know, is there any music or a, or a musician or someone that you like the most? And he said, oh, you know, I love Andrea Bocelli. Oh. So en route to hospital, I got his wife to sit the in the treat seat. No. Oh. I can't remember. I just got it on Spotify, but I just got his wife to sit in the treat seat next to him mm. and him lay on the bed because we didn't need to do anything medical. Mm. It was just a bit of a transport. Mm. And just sad. connected my phone up to the car and played Andrea Bocelli the whole way whilst they held hands. And oh. I cried at hospital. It was really, mm. it was a really emotional moment. Really nice yeah. 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 Gosh, well done. No, I like that. Thanks, guys. I'm, you know, Sounds otherwise cold-hearted, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah every I'm other surprised. time, ruthless. I'm actually yeah. shocked. That you did Once that. every couple of months, it comes yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. rarely. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the story above and beyond uh, for me is actually my partner. A few years ago, we got called for a concern of uh, for welfare of a homeless gentleman in the CBD area. We went and checked him out. He didn't want to go to hospital. He'd been living on the streets for quite some time mm. and he was only in his 30s. It was one of those jobs where I really wasn't that interested. I mean, I checked him out, did yeah. his thing, had a quick chat to him and that was it. My partner sat down and had a full conversation with him. I went back to the vehicle, was writing out the paperwork to say, you know, he didn't want to didn't want to come to hospital. Yeah. He came back, grabbed his lunchbox and walked off again. And then when he came back, he told me his whole life story. Now, this, this homeless man was only 32 and it had a really rough trot. Yeah. Right? My partner ended up giving him every bit of content out of his lunchbox because he had nothing to eat. Oh. And he actually had a tear in his eye when he came oh. back. And I went, you know what? It was just a beautiful That's really human kind. moment where yes. it's like, I think even as paramedics, sometimes we can be a bit oh, rough and brutal on that. And <laughs> yeah. that was just a really beautiful moment. Of, I love that. Yeah. And wow. I love that it wasn't you that did it. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I totally like really lunch. Would you give him your fresh burrito from Guzman de Gomez though? <laughs> Ooh, I'll buy him another one. Right, veg <laughs> <laughs> and cheese sandwich. Yeah, you can have that. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, guys, I, I actually feel a bit um, silly here. I think I, when I put out the brief as to 
go above and beyond. I wasn't thinking such nice stories that you'd all bring. Um, The one I've got to share was actually not when I was a paramedic, but back in my nursing days, um, we needed to swab uh, the patients in the ward for for VRE, one of the antibacterial, you know. One of the nasty bugs. Yeah, Mm, bugs that, you know, you you get resistant to the antibiotics for. And to do that, that was a a PR swab up the... uh, a little uh, up the where, yeah, up the up where? the uh, up the hole that uh, is called an anus. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of holes. Oh, and no. so you know, here I am as, as a new grad, and I'm thinking, oh, okay, I've got four patients, a couple of them are these uh, French New Mean ladies. I'm like, oh, okay, um, all right, guys. Uh, went to the first one. Just bend over. We got to pop this um this swab in there. So she bent over, put the swab in. You know, it's like the um bloody uh, COVID swabs. They go in. Oh, they don't a lot go further. in your <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Well, no, no, no. These definitely do. They they were PR swabs. Um, yeah, you're not swabbing anyways, from COVID anywhere else <laughs> other than the nose. I, I hope so not. <laughs> anyway, I went around to to. Every every patient, I did it all, and um, I got back to the nurses' station. They're like, "Carl, what took you so long?" I'm like, "What do you mean? How how are you guys so quick?" And they're like, "You didn't give you you, you did did you do the swab yourself?" I'm like, "Yeah." And they're like, "Oh, mate, he's just supposed to give it to them to do." Themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and so I thought that's where I've gone above and beyond. I'm like, guys, you don't have to do this yourself. This is I what I'm this. paid for. This is what they taught me in nursing. So, did it with um, a smile on his face. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But um, anyway. That is above <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> That's what I was hoping to get from you guys. But anyway, I'll be the odd one out today. Um, all right, guys. Well, look, let's jump into the debrief. And as recently as June 2019, Florida has passed a law that allows paramedics to carry firearms when responding to shootings, drug raids and other high-risk situations such as armed suicidal persons or hostage situations. Closer to home, we've seen some pretty violent attacks on paramedics in Victoria, uh, where the perpetrator has pretty much got off scot-free. Now, the question I want to pose to you all is, should Australia follow suit and arm their paramedics? Also, if you were living in a country where firearms were readily accessible, would this still be your chosen career path? So, Leigh, we'll we'll start off with you, mate. What do you think? Wow, that's a heavy question, but my answer is fairly emphatically no um should should ambulance uh paramedics in australia be armed no i don't think so mm. not necessarily just with <coughs> firearms but yeah, what about but like less lethal oc sort of spray yeah. okay tasers yeah. i i think i think we are a very different in um de- very different environment to that that you know in the u.s mm. uh we we certainly don't have we cert- we have our fair share of firearms that don't by no by no mistake um, we, do we have our fair share, but certainly not the same amount. Uh, my, my question back, I guess, would be um, if we're at the point where we need to be arming ourselves, what are we doing in that environment in the first place? Mm. There's, if there are agencies that, that uh, are armed and are equipped and do have the legislation to support them going into those environments and dealing with those issues. And if there is a medical emergency in that environment, then that agency their first priority is to generally uh, make safe mm. and then bring that person back to a, 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 an area of safety for us well that comes back to your role as yeah. a special operations paramedic because um you guys go in behind a tactical yep. police squad uh if they're going into do a search warrant or if they're going into a high um volatile situation yep. or a um, precarious one there is it even necessary for a paramedic um, to follow in behind 
these guys who are very well armed, um, even if you have a bit of body armor on, yeah, I think, is it necessary? I think you need to look at your zoning of care as well. So if you if you go back to the hot, warm, cold zone um, that we've all heard about a thousand times, it's it's often um, drawn as concentric circles around an event. You're mm. thinking you've got great, you're hot, red, right, right close to this, the situation. But if you look at it in reality, those they are not concentric circles. They're multi-leveled, multi-tiered structures. Um, you're potentially going in. There's there's people in amongst those structures that are that are spread out within rooms and and barricaded and that kind of thing. And having a central point where your paramedics are, are staged can work certainly but having a small group of people follow in with the police um into those environments can uh can render aid really early and and we talk about something called the therapeutic vacuum in this instance where the police their their role is to stop the killing um mm. or, or to execute the the job that they're going to do um with with force potentially and quickly. And then we talk about stopping the dying. Now, if you have your, your paramedic um, team out in the outer perimeter, there's lots of stopping the killing happening and not much stopping the dying. So having a paramedic team go in with the police, the police unit yeah. um, potentially moves into that therapeutic vacuum quicker. And just on that note, Lee, yeah. um, isn't there a tactical side of special operations at the moment where that's what you're doing? You're Absolutely there yeah. is, yeah. So so our unit is the, the only one in, in, in Australia that has uh, a connected um, tactical um, paramedic team with our... Um, our police tactical group. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and we are, we, we, we aren't armed, but we do have ballistics measures in place. So we wear ballistics helmet, ballistics eyewear, um, ear protection and level four plated ballistics vests. Yeah. So, and they are, they are held under the same um, sort of legislation as guns are. And we, you yeah. Know. But I mean, like, is it, really necessary for you to go in behind police in in one of those situations i mean what if there's like a an explosive device inside i mean i guess it's all mm. assessed by risk yeah it's a fairly new concept as well yeah. so is there any proof that yeah it's I, having an effect listen, or working i i would be able to refer you to some people that definitely have that proof on it right now i don't have the the data to to show for it but oh that's a shame yeah i know i should have come better prepared <laughs> Let's follow up yeah. Yeah. but but at the same time in in saying that that the uh is there is it really necessary it's all, all based on risk it's a dynamic yeah. risk assessment every time you do it um we're not we're not going into the hot zone. Okay. Um, so if you think of those concentric circles again, we're not going straight to the point where there's the offender or the potentially the the explosive device. We mm. are certainly firmly in the warm, but with your your zones of care, remember that it can go hot very quickly. Mm. You know that offender oh, yeah. or whatever can can move out quickly, and then all of a sudden you're in the the red, and then yeah. um, you've got to be able to be protected to some degree. Mm. And that's the only instance where being armed may be of benefit. Yeah, I think. Okay. Yeah. I think when I think of that, I think of sort of two examples in a way. So um, I did some looking into uh, our services way of approaching um, almost terrorist events and things like that. And they talk about armed defenders and, and a way of combating that, particularly if there are no special operations paramedics or people who are trained to kind of operate in the hot, warm, cold zone. Um, 
the I think the talking was that as a safety measure for yourself, you know, if you're going to go into a scene, and this is talking about, you know, trucks into people and, and yeah. a big mm. uncontrolled yeah. scene, um, is that as a paramedic to help protect yourself, you can almost pair up with a police officer or a couple of police ah, officers okay. yeah. to kind of scour the scene and see, you know, what you've got to do a sit rep or you've got to do an, an initial kind of eyes around the scene and so how do you do that if you can only stand on the periphery and wait for someone else to sure. come in like yeah. yeah and the, the our general duties police have got very good active armed defender training which they do that they move they, they buddy up and they move into small teams and they go and they they want to go they, they move to the, the sound of the threat or the sound of the shooting they, they go to stop the killing yeah. Mm. It used to be surround and contain and, and negotiate, and that has that has categorically changed these days. Um, because you know, if you look back at events like Columbine, um, there mm. were it's a long time ago now, but th- th- there was surrounding contain and negotiate, and people were actively dying inside that that mm. school when um, the the uh, the offenders actually. Um, ended their own lives eight minutes after mm. I believe it was eight minutes after they started the shooting so yeah, but, right. but it was hours until anyone moved into that building because yeah. there, it was and there's some people contained. that might have survived absolutely there were yeah yeah yeah, exactly. yeah there was and yeah. what do you think Evan yeah do you reckon tough, we should be armed tough question I don't think we should be armed no. I think if, pepper spray if it's would be a bit of fun wouldn't it oh, <laughs> yeah well that runs into its I own think issues that's, doesn't it I think that's the other thing just on you, your partner you, you, on yeah. your partner not you on give, the patients you give <laughs> so, through it, well, you thousands of people the ability to do it you're gonna see it a mm. horror instance of them doing it yes. you know yeah. like I'm just imagining I, on the radio uh, we need to go offline uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't see yeah. well it's about risk assessment as Lee was saying and I think if if it's getting to the point where you think paramedics need to carry guns then it's probably not appropriate for you to be there unless it's in that tactical yeah. active shoot where you're with, you know, the um, like the SWAT team or something, mm. and that's your role. I think for the general duties paramedics, then no, it's not appropriate. Yeah, I know that yeah. they they wear uh, stab proof vests over in London. Yeah, and that's personally issued to you um, at the start of your career, and you've got to hand it back afterwards. It's up to you whether or not you want to wear it. Oh, right. And so I was that's speaking good. to one of my friends over there, and they said that if you're going to, you know, like an active shooter or an assault with a knife yeah. or something like well, that, you'll seen. be you'll you'll be wearing it. Definitely, mm. it's on you to wear it, mm. but. And I think in the UK they've had, I would say, I think media reported-wise, they've had a, quite a few more kind of violent instances of that. Like all I can mm. think of is the um, man who killed a guy the going home attacks. with the knife yeah. Oh, yeah. and then went and was waving yeah. and shooting everyone, well, stabbing everyone, I think. Yeah. And yeah. it's like you go, oh, God, I don't want to go near that. But then there's a gentleman who we can maybe save their life. I don't mm. know. It's a it is one. a scary the, thought, Speaking though. of the UK, again, the pre- predominantly their police force isn't armed with no, anything lethal. No. They're no. armed with less lethal mm. weapons, mm. So, um, spray Batons, tasers, yeah. I believe. So, you know, I think I think it, it can be done. Obviously, without the need for lethal weapons, at yeah. least, um, and arming paramedics. I mean, it happens in the states, and 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 it also happens in other areas, of, um, yeah. South America, and um, uh, yeah. So it's amazing to think, though, isn't it? Like, there imagine could just be a gun in the glove box of yeah. your ambulance. Well, so I have yeah. a question though for this. Hmm. So this was an article that this happened very recently at the end of May. So here, two Victorian paramedics were threatened at gunpoint by an older man. He was mm, in his eighties in uh, Melbourne's West, mm. right? So they've gone in. It, yes. You know, you do your Doctor ABC, whatever. You do your danger, and it doesn't seem as though it's a dangerous situation. And mm. then an eighty-two-year-old pulls a gun on you. What yep. do you? How that's do you? Bad yep. granddad, right? There. You, you get the. You get the. <laughs> you don't want to go to hospital. You don't have to go, mate. Well, that's <laughs> when the OC spray down. really wouldn't work against the gun. Well, no. Or a taser, so I think from reading the articles, it ended up being that the one of the paramedics kind of 
tackled him in a way and yeah. got the mm. gun out of his hand. Jeez. But I'm I'm going to say myself, I mean, hey, I've done a little bit of you know, kickboxing. I'm not – I don't know how to Kick disarm. Yeah. <laughs> well, go around really quickly then. Yeah. Um, if you were – living in one of these countries where they have access to guns much more readily available than us here in Australia, um, would you be paramedically? I, I have no other skill set, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. I like that. Jen? Um, oh, that's tough. I mean, how does your it's life It's growing up in change? a different world. Exactly. I know. Yeah. I think though fundamentally well, What about if that? you had to move there now? Mm, I think I still would be and depending on conditions and all that crap. Mm. Um, I think I still would be but I would hope Mm. I don't know. I, I even, sorry, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I even think, I hope that like even within my service currently, we don't get any self-defense training. So no. why, why start why arming guys? paramedics with guns when you can't, when we don't even have basic self-defense? Mm. So I don't know, but yeah, I think I'd still be a paramedic. Mm. Evan? Yeah, absolutely. 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 You would. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Yes. Love you the job. Just yeah. Best, yeah. best job in the world. Oh, nice. And no, I don't think we should be armed. I think if someone's violent and yeah. nutty enough to go for a cop's gun yep. who's had training with hand-to-hand unless yep. that was mm. ramped up a lot where we yep. had self-defensing uh, well, exactly. defensive training. It, it introduces a weapon to the room, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And just one more thing on that. If we're going to be in that environment and something does happen like an 82-year-old grandma pre- pre- grandpa presents a gun, we have to have those things in place where we in an in, where we can escape. Yeah. Don't yeah. put yourself between yeah. him and the door, etc. Like yeah. we've got those tra- that training to a certain degree. So if yeah. we, you know, just mm. don't get yourself yeah. into that and situation. And Carl, Carl, what about you? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I don't think I would. What would you in do in America? I don't. Oh, I'd be a um, probably a rectal. Well, you were a nurse. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a rectal nurse. <laughs> Swap nurse. Look, I have. Um, <laughs> I've moved on from that career for obvious reasons. Um, actually, well, we won't get into those. But um, <laughs> I do love my job. Would I do it overseas in one of those countries? Oh, I don't know. Probably not. I don't think I'd feel that safe, but mm, yeah. but um, but yeah. Look, guys, uh, that's it for the debrief already. But um, before we get into the clinical corner, we've got the rack. The r- what okay. is Ooh, the rack? You might hello. say. Well, this is the rambling Ambo's quiz. This is uh, the rack is back. Although it's the first time we're doing it, I just really <laughs> wanted to say that. Um, so we've got. Couldn't wait till next week. <laughs> couldn't? No, no, definitely not. Um, not too sure if it will make it back to next yeah. week. Um, but we've got a minute thirty on the clock. Okay, so mm-hmm. um, the prize that you're going to be competing for is an all expenses paid trip to Gosford. <laughs> it's a, it's a, um, uh, a train ticket, an Opal car ticket, and you have $10 spending money in downtown Gosford. Uh, Gosford? This is thanks to uh, Central Coast of New South Wales, Australia. Oh, oh beautiful. And um, <laughs> this is thanks to Centrelink and their, you know, Holiday <laughs> Happens uh, program to try and stimulate the economy, guys. So um, big prize on the line today. Um, your buzzers. Uh, Lee, what's your buzzer going to be? <laughs> Um, are we going. Uh, we're going animal names. Are we going names? I think uh, animal, animal names. Animal, animal noises. Or noises. Or noises yes. or, or name. <laughs> Not a name. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna, mine's gonna be. Mine's gonna be quack. Quack. Yeah. All right. Quack for Lee. I'm gonna go moo. Moo. Wolf. Wolf. Big quack, dog. Moo, wolf. Yeah, all right. I like it. All right, guys. <laughs> stand by. A duck. It's very, <laughs> very soft for you. It's you don't look like a element to this. All right. Yeah. All right. All right. Stand by. It's time to play the rack. Question one. Name two drugs given to a patient suffering from acute coronary syndrome. Lee. Jesus. Aspirin. Yep. GTN. Correct. Question two. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an American state that had passed a law to allow paramedics to carry arms. Florida. Correct. Question three. What is the longest bone in the body? Move. Jen. Femur. Correct. Uh, Question four. Every paramedic must do this when arriving or entering a set. Lee. 
Four at the door. No. Oh, come on. <laughs> Me. Yes. Jen. Danger. Correct. Four at the door first. Question five. A hoarse that. voice, a barking cough, and an inspiratory... Quack? Yep. Did you say Group. cock? <laughs> Group. Quack. Group. He's making up animal noises. That is correct. Number six. What does C stand for in the acronym Doctors ABCD? Me. What? Circulation. Incorrect. <laughs> oh, compre- no, wait. Correct. <laughs> Compressions. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right. Number up. eight, true or false, cancer is the leading cause of death in Australia. A- false. Correct. Oh. Oh. 50 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number 10, what year did paramedicine become a nationally recognized. Quack. Pro- 2018. Oh, correct. Oh. Uh, this kid. A human hand is made up of how many bones? No. 20. <laughs> Go Jen. Not of a choice. Incorrect. <laughs> Anyone? Yep. 16. Oh, no, incorrect. Okay, the first external defibrillator was invented. Oh. Oh. Guys, that is all we've got time for. And congratulations, Lee. Yeah, you are it. off to Gosford, mate. Uh, how do you feel? Just on the way home, mate. Our first, <laughs> our, our first uh, winner of Save the Save your rack. train ticket, I drove you. Amazing. All right, guys, well, we've got the clinical corner just up in a second. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is The Clinical Corner, and today our special guest is running us through the case conundrum today. A special operation specific uh, case study, is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. All right, take it away, mate. What have you got? Well, listen, uh, not very rarely do we have quite uh, as clinical conundrum as you've had on this show previously in the special operations world. All right, so people are generally not in deep in the bush or on hanging on a cliff or no, they're in, in hoarders' houses in a bre- yeah. in, yeah, in a exactly. confined space, having a some sort of multi rhythm you know job that Evan likes to <laughs> discuss. <laughs> so at the clinical corner this week um, is going to be a little bit more about our mission planning and difficult access egress kind of job that mm-hmm. we're going to focus on because this is where we sort of. Earn our money as special operations paramedics. I guess. How much money? Yeah, <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> really, not, really, not a lot. Um, but okay, so so I'm going to put this job to you. Mm-hmm. All right. So job notes come down. Mm-hmm. Um, this the uh, it was a a person, a fifty something year old man who was suspended on a vertical face uh, in a local area during a paragliding accident. Okay, so that's the sort of the job notes. Not a lot of job history. Um, we don't we don't have the patient's um, injuries or or you know. Then there's no one no one on scene obviously to give us much of a clinical picture. Yeah. Is this sorry? Is this like national park or is this like industrial? No, so this is national park. Yep. yep. Vertical okay. face being a being a, a, a headland. Yeah, oh, he, okay. a cliff. Yeah, cliff. A cliff. Uh, but but on a headland. Yeah, yeah. So good. Yeah, good question because it definitely does make a difference. Okay, mm. so uh, I'll start responding. It's a it's a hot response. So we're going to go. Quickly, lights and sirens. Mm-hmm. Um, first question, I guess, is on your way to this job, mm. what are some of the things that you would be thinking of in preparation to uh, yeah, commence commence the, the mm. operation? I'll be thinking about calling a SOT. <laughs> yeah, good. Or a good. special operations you guys paramedic. In pairs, don't you? <laughs> well, we work, for something like this, you would hope so um, because – but we work single in our cars and we would team up for something like this. But as you're all very well aware – 
often that person might be coming from the mm. southwest of our of our city, um, from the rural west of our city. So, so you've got some time to set up before they get there. Well, either that, or you might be over the edge by yourself. Right. Yeah. Mm. So we can do it by ourselves. Ultimately, you'd like to have someone else there, but yeah. Mm. Um. What about you, Jen? Ev. Mm. Ev, you go first. I was going to say. You would have to consider whereabouts on the cliff face the actual person was. Yep. I mean, is it easier to go from the top or the bottom? Yeah, is there good. access to the bottom? Yeah, good. So, um, so your access points, you know, are we... Yeah, do, do you have to actually commit to a vertical access of this patient? Because that is going to be the most risky, right? So, mm-hmm. you know. I guess some other things I'm thinking of are... Um, are you working with other agencies? So... Mm-hmm. Um, a, are they alive or not? Because is this a yep. police rescue job or does it need a boat from the bottom end of the cliff? Or mm-hmm. yeah, are there other agencies that might be better placed to yeah. access this job Absolutely. instead of us? Does that actually, sorry, Carl, no. does that actually make your job easier or harder if it's multi-agency? Oh, it definitely comp- compounds the, the complexity. Mm. Yeah, because we all have, I mean, as everyone's well aware, um, there are combat rescue agencies who have, or the police have the overarching control and then there's mm. someone else who might be actually performing the rescue and then there's us who's yeah. really good at accessing and triaging and treating the patient right. but yeah. isn't involved in, well, doesn't necessarily do the rescue. So it yeah, it does compound well, it. I'll just be thinking about the media statement I'd be preparing yeah. for, the, <laughs> no. for the cruise on my and way Carl, there. you've <laughs> got such a media voice that you're just <laughs> I don't know who we're the medical treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I miss that in-service, the media in-service. Oh, so I'm, I'm my favourite one. Last <laughs> thing I'm going to be doing is standing in front of a camera. But lucky there's people like you, Carl, because that's, that's okay. Great. I'll take one for the team. All right, good. So we sort of thought about it, a few of the things. Some other things you'd probably want to try and do is get uh, perhaps the, nu- the number for the informant sent down. So you can make the call yourself and, and rather than play Chinese whispers a little bit, get um, some information firsthand. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, like you said, call on, uh, if they haven't already started a second operator, get them coming your way because it's going to be always helpful to have them. Um, Cool. So you arrive on scene and you're directed to the patient um, and they're they're over the the cliff edge. So you can't actually see them. Now, we spoke a little bit about what um, what – equipment that we have on the on the trucks from what we discussed and what you know um what sort of equipment are you taking to this chainsaw so you put you you lie on mm. the, the cliff edge and you look over um you're not harnessed up at this stage but you're able to make oh, you're contact. allowed to do that yeah i was gonna say if my manager <laughs> yeah. saw me yeah. do that so side note you're allowed to lie on your belly and look oh. over the edge without a harness Within two meters of the cliff edge, you I'll must hold be your feet, on, your, <laughs> on your. I was going to say, if we belly. work together, Carl shotgun, you lying on your belly, <laughs> yeah, and I'll be on the radio. Yeah. Okay, so you see that they are lying uh, supine mm. on a little ledge, mm. and there is a significant drop below them, uh, many meters, which would prove fatal if they had fallen, or you're going to fall if you would to fall. Mm. Um, and they're not making a lot of. Um, they're not telling you specifically what's wrong, but you can tell that they're in significant amounts of mm. pain. Mm. All right, and the, and thinking about the mechanism, thinking about their position on the cliff. What obviously you're going to access them vertically at this stage from the top down. Mm. That was the decision that you've made. But what equipment are you going to take with you? Well, first of all, oh I just God. I'm all about honesty with the patient. So I think the first thing you should do is just yell down to the patient. If you roll over, you'll die. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Uh, get that right. nice and clear. No. Oh, well, yeah. I thought that was actually <laughs> good. <laughs> well, you're you, you, die. Want, you want to make contact with the patient I to sort of no. first thing, you're right, protocol, whatever it is, reassure your patient. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Try and get some, establish some con, con communication with them to reassure them somewhat. I mean, yeah. 
you're not going to be able to be providing treatment to them on this specific location. So um, what are the things, the injuries that they could have that could be life-threatening um, mm. that perhaps you could could do then and there? I mean, this yeah. is so out of my field, so it's no, hard to say. So you can't reach them from the top. So If you go down... You guys have a vertical stretcher though, don't you? We have a few, yeah. So first things, we're not going to take three kits. We're not going to take your Viva, your life pack and your drug box. What we're going to take is we're going to get our... Medical pack mm. out of the back of our truck, bandage. which is yeah, well, which is it's got four bandages. <laughs> it's got four separate little pockets in it, and um, airway, um, first aid, flute drugs, and cannulation. Okay, so we've got that on our back, so it may, gives us this opportunity to take what we need in a much more easily accessible kit. We're also going to take probably a, a thigh pouch with some S8 drugs in it and that kind of thing. Um, so we're down the the bottom, we're, we're, we're sort of on this ledge with the patient. And Carl, you said something about we're not going to be able to treat them on on the, in that mm. spot. Well, you, you can. Yeah. Um, what are some of the injuries due with that mechanism that you would suggest might be the case? You've got to think major trauma. This yeah, guy yeah. has slammed yep. possibly, well, we don't have any witnesses to yep. it, so he slammed at high speed into rock face. Yeah, spinal, so, absolutely. Yeah, all the yep. big ticket ones, mm. the breathing, um, deflated lungs and yep. yeah, pra- yep. uh, so fractured pelvis, long bones. What's your? That's per exactly what we're thinking at the top. So you get to the patient and how does your primary assessment go? What, and 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 thinking about thinking about your primary assessment, you know, in our quiz, and uh, it was the first thing you do at every patient. What's the first thing you? Oh, check for danger. Check for danger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's our danger? But you know, cliff. Like cliff. <laughs> so the first thing you need to do is you need to make that patient safe, despite yeah. their injuries. Yeah. You actually yeah. need to make them safe. So you're not treating them first. You're making no, them safe. We're going to stop yeah. them from um, from becoming a, a yeah. A, Tie the collar to the rope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Good. Uh, it's, it's it's thinking outside the box. It's just why Carl um, is. So we're gonna make them safe, thing. and and then basically our primary assessment is sort of goes very similar um, way as as normal. Airway, you know, major hemorrhage, airway, breathing, and there's things that we can do in that space. We're we're both on on a rope now. We're both made mm. safe, and you can decompress if you need to. You can um, put a line in and, and give fluids. You, we generally don't intubate or put in LMAs. I mean, yeah. that's mm. that's going to be very difficult. And if that's the case, your patient potentially could be yeah. um, you know, based on their environment, you know, uh, mm. uh, not not survivable. The injury profile might become not survivable based on the environment. That'd be pretty tough. You it's know, a hard call Being there next mm. to them. It's and a hard call to make. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But yeah. I guess at the same... Well, I mean, hey, at the same time, like... Maybe this is me sounding a bit of a cock, but it, it's a bit of a privilege that they can get someone to them in that mm. position oh, yeah. and get any kind of treatment. So I yeah, guess, yeah. Any, like, you know, it's not... It, in a way, it's any kind of treatment you can provide is a great thing yeah. compared yeah. to nothing yeah, at all. Well, they've yeah. put themselves in that yeah. situation. Yeah, well, this is your own fault, so... Yeah. <laughs> so this, this, yeah. particular, this particular gentleman, he had um, thoracic uh, vertebral fra- fractures. Mm. He had a pelvic fracture, so we, mm. we bound his pelvis. Mm-hmm. Um, Just with bandages? No, no, with a T-pod. So you, you, mm. we, so we sort of... In, fortunately, he was on a ledge. If he was suspended in yeah, there, okay. that would make it yeah. very difficult yeah. and you would have to do with what you can with what you have where you are, but essentially perhaps not um, bind that pelvis at that point. Um, 
We tried to cannulate, mm. um, but he was an ex-IVDU, which mm. makes things very, very difficult. Ex-IVDU paraglider. Yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. really changed. Wow. Yeah, you know? So he, he had reformed, he'd reformed his life completely yeah. to his yeah. to his credit. And he but he had lots of um, self-harm injuries and lots of and, and Is that no just things. the excuse that you said? Because he couldn't get <laughs> yeah. a life. There was no one to witness. I missed so. one once and it was the worst day of my career. Yeah. Um, um, what about intraosseous? Is that so, an option for you? No, oh. it wasn't at the time. And we generally wouldn't unless it was in that um, hosti- uh, host- hostile environment. Yeah. Right? Um, so the question then we had was, do we go, what intramuscular pain relief do we go for this patient? Significant pain, pelvic fracture, vertebral fractures. Mm. We're going to have to actually extricate vertically in one of our vertical stretches with the use of, of, of the fireys and it's going to take a long time. Mm. It took three hours. Mm. So what are you giving for pain relief? Is this silly, but just to, is, he, is he a GCS 15? He's GCS 15, yes. Okay, because I'm a big fan of like loading up on everything in a way. Like mm-hmm. give them Panadol yeah, sure. as well as, yeah. um, you know, you could think about intramuscular morphine. Yep. I know that Victoria use IV fentanyl as well. I don't know if you can use it intramuscularly. And in New South Wales, we can give intranasal fentanyl, so why not do both? Mm. Yeah. Uh, Depending on how recently what, he was reformed, what are you, how much pain relief yeah, you need. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. Good point. <clears throat> Methoxy. Methoxy, because he's yep. compliant, um, there is no reason why he can't give intramuscular um, morphine. It's not contraindicated. No, I think by your protocols or no, not or even not CPGs. Yeah. What about um, ketamine? What probably you? not the best unless he's secure. Yeah. I would say. You wouldn't want him to start can, hallucinating on yeah, the side of the cliff face. You can ketamine. Then this was then that exactly, your this was exactly risk then, right? yeah, the fentanyl was doing a little bit, but not quite a, enough. Sure. And mm. we, we only take a certain amount down. We were down there for a mm. long time. So the, mm. the thought was, okay, do we ex- escalate to ketamine? And the decision was made not to for that mm. exact reason, because we were in a precarious position. Sure. We And, you know, sure, you can get them to that therapeutic level that um, disassociates them entirely. Uh, but if they start to come back out of that um, disassociated state, then they're going to need midazolam potentially, mm. which is, you know. Just then all of it. Just have all of just the drugs. Really, it just really gets <laughs> complicated. So we went intramuscular Tough. morphine. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. A three-hour extrication. Yeah. Uh, back up the cliff. How much did you of, give in the end? Oh, that's a good question. But it was it was certainly well the the methoxies we had we gave the entire lot of fentanyl that yeah. we had at the time I believe was the full six hundred mics over yeah. a long period of time. Yeah, mm. and then um, I'd say it'd have to have been at least ten milligrams of morphine into yeah, muscularly. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Um. So yeah, and and it did the trick, but it was an interesting you know consideration. Do we give ketamine because his injuries certainly warranted it? Yeah. And if it was yeah. in the fo- if it was in a car accident, you probably would. Yeah. Mm. Um. But because we were perched on the side of a ledge on a cliff with a you know sure it's safe, but we didn't want him moving. We didn't want him trying to get out of his stretcher basket. We didn't like. Yeah. Um, yeah absolutely. More of a latter thought, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me. Um. A latter thought about your pain. Like we'll try and get it managed as best as we can, but we keep you alive as the priority. Yeah. Yeah. And the rest is just. I've you know, said that to can. a few of my patients who are quite impatient for pain relief, and mm. I'm a bit like, "Well, pain's not going to kill you, but if your blood pressure drops, then yeah, mm. yeah. Oh, and, and, and that's yeah. a very good point because in his with a major pelvic fracture, you know, his sympathetic surge from a bit of pain is mm. probably doing him some good. Yeah. You take away that, you take away that sympathetic stimulation, and you bomb him out on on everything, and he everything relaxes. What happens to his blood pressure then? Mm. Yeah. Um, so and with a pelvic fracture already, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so. It was, you know, listen, this job was not particularly difficult in terms of 
its clinical nature. It mm. was it was a trauma. It was a major trauma, and mm. we all know what to do in major traumas. Mm. We're not mm. looking at ECGs and going, "What is that?" And yeah. how we're managing it. Yeah. But the difficulty with this job was the time, the du- the duration of it, particularly, and the position where we were, which made our medicine very different to what it would have been if he was supine on a stretcher or, yeah. or in a car. You know, and this is the whole point about special operations: is that mission planning. Yeah. It is making sure that you. Um, check all your boxes before you go and making sure that you're going to be able to handle all the situations that will eventuate mm. before mm. you commit to it. I have a super quick question for you. Just wondering. So for example, if uh, for some reason that scene drew out to four or five, six hours or whatever, is yep. there an option for you guys to tag team? So if yeah, you've run absolutely. out of all of your meds yeah. or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. but the patient clearly needs more or more management and you've run out. You definitely can. Yeah. Or, or that someone could bring it to you. Even yeah. If you didn't mm. leave the patient, you've got yeah. a great rapport. Um, you know, yeah, you could, you could access more stuff that changes in the remote area setting where you, or where you would potentially commit to a Canyon system with retrievable anchors. You pull those anchors down and then you are isolated plus plus. Yeah, and okay. so your mission planning becomes a lot more difficult. You mm. have to go, you go in with only what you've got mm. and nothing else, or something else, you know, certainly could be brought in but you're committing more people to that risky environment if yeah. you do so so go in prepared and that's why you might see um, you know, special operations paramedics pause and take 20 minutes mm. to do a full set of checks and balances with their equipment before they march into that environment because yeah. if they don't safety first yeah you know, absolutely isn't that funny i'm listening to this though and i'm like is there not ever a situation where you look over the cliff and you think about all this and you're like that's it today is the day i'm gonna die because this yeah. is ridiculously well, crazy not if you're special operations <laughs> well exactly yeah. Yeah. you and me carl yeah. i think just just on that you sort of you have to be ready to do the you have to be you know well enough embedded in your career to do the job and be confident that you're going to do it safely. If, if you sort of try and specialise in any of our specialties, I think mm. you, you work by yourself, you operate alone, you're making big clinical decisions in very, very stressful environments. Mm. If mm. you're not ready to do that, wait a little bit and, yep. then, and then apply for these positions when you're ready. Yeah. So that would be Good your call. advice for anyone else wanting to... You know, absolutely. Yeah, I think. I mean, I I did. I started in special operations after five and a half, six years, and mm. I think it was a good amount of time for me to, you know, get get to that level where I was confident in yeah. my ability. I mean, it wasn't long ago that I went to a, a, a non lights and sirens headache. Yeah, and, and got there, and this this poor woman was had a big bleed, and she was on the ground, and she was coning essentially. But because it wasn't a big job, there wasn't anyone coming to back me up. So it was fifteen or sixteen minutes before yeah. anyone else arrived. Mm. So be ready to handle that by yourself. Yeah. Before doing a job where you're a single responder, because they're the situations. Not a, put aside all the special operationsness about it. Mm. Mm. Even just as simple as a, as a single responder can be the the hardest job you've done and sure. you're not at the top of a 200 meter cliff yeah. I was gonna say, yeah fundamentally at the end of the day you're still a paramedic and what yeah. do we do yeah. in our everyday roles and that's what you've got to yeah. get down pat i think before you do anything else and you yeah. and 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 it's a it's scary because shortcomings can be exposed very quickly mm. you've got no no one else to bounce off mm. no one and mm. and you do also well hidden <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah unless you bury them very yeah but it can be exposed very easily amazing well lee thanks so much for um for coming in today mate really appreciate it's a pleasure. Yeah. Thank Thanks you for having me, yeah. And um, look, guys, we're at to that stage of the show already. And um, Lee, given that you're our special guest today, I guess um, it's only fair if we uh, let you choose the um, song that we play out to. So your emergency driving song, what is it? Uh, this Better one's be a bit of a classic. Um, uh, it's, you know, 
I don't condone driving erratically and absolutely too fast. not. No, you do. But it certainly, <laughs> it certainly gets it certainly gets the fingers tapping. Uh, Riverside, Riverside, yeah, Riverside by Sydney Sampson. That's correct. Oh, mm. How does yeah. it get on? Well, thanks, guys. This has been Rambling at Ambos. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Riverside. Let's go.